Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to MBR, or as we like to call it around here, Nothing But Rants, the show where I find topics that I'm oddly passionate about, and I pontificate upon them. These are not hot takes, but rather takes that I'm hot about. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome in and welcome back into the studio. Uh, first time, long time back in here since early National Signing Day, I believe. We've cracked open uh, a live show here from the studio. So welcome in. We got a great show for you guys tonight. It was loud wrong day. Your boy was loud wrong this past weekend. We're going to talk about it. We're going to laugh about it. We're going to explain it. Okay, we're going to 100% explain it. And we're going to face the music today as all grown men should when they have strong opinions. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, the, 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 the review of all the college football playoff games. We're going to talk about Texas and Washington. We're going to talk about Alabama and Michigan, as you would imagine. We're going to talk about the roster updates for Georgia, okay? But it's going to be a national hour first, local hour second here tonight following last night's college football playoff games. It is a big show for you guys, so stay here, stay tuned, hit that thumbs up button, like, subscribe, rate, and review, all that good stuff. We're also going to crack into a way too early Natty prediction. Um, but I, I wanted to start with this. First of all, we are very, very close to 20,000 subscribers. We have a chance to hit it today during tonight's long, uh, uh, you know, uh, live stream. So if at any point you have not subscribed to this channel, please feel free to do so tonight. We are trying to hit that milestone during the live stream today. So we have a little party, um, like the, the Michigan fans did in my mentions this past weekend. <laughs> um, look, here's the deal. I, I don't think I'm a hot takey dude. Okay. Like a hot take, for example, would be Michael Penix is a better prospect than Caleb Williams. I think that's a little hot takey. Now what I am is a person who works really hard, all right? And then when I formulate an opinion, I, I don't waver from opinions when I give them. I, I feel them in my hearts of hearts, and I say them with 100% conviction. Now, what that opens you up to as a person in my uh, scenario, if you will, or my situation, what that opens you up to is being really, really loud wrong when you are wrong. And what you also have to understand is the, the, the folks that stick around, the folks that are around all the time, they know when you're right, all right? They, they, they get it. Like when you say that Ole Miss is going to skull drag Penn State, everybody's like, oh, okay, Brooks was right, that one. But when you're wrong, holy hell, do people come after you. Um, and that's exactly what happened today, which, or excuse me, which brings me to yesterday uh, when Michigan made me eat a month's worth of words, okay? A month's worth of words. And uh, I think it's been encapsulated the most. Uh, it's already done a million point one or 1.1 million views on Twitter in the last 24 hours. I think who encapsulated my month-long opinion of Alabama is fixing to box the ever-loving shit out of Michigan, okay? The company that encapsulated that takery the best was Snaps, and boy, did they make me look like a hot take artist. Play the clip for me, Jay Will. The last four football games, Michigan has averaged 282 yards per game. Yeah. If that were their yearly average, they would have finished 125th in total offense. I think JJ They have was played hurt. like shit when they have played real football teams. By the way, the only defenses in the top 40 this year, that stretch of football games, Iowa, Maryland, Ohio State, Penn State. Guess where Alabama sits? 16th. They are not a slap dick defense. They're going to box their ass. And by the way, yeah, any Michigan off. fan that's out here thinking that you can just bully your way to a national title, guess what? Bullies don't get bullied. Alabama is not about to get bent in for four quarters. Are you shitting me? All right. So there's, there's a lot wrong there. All right. But I, I think the worst part about that clip to me, when I went back and listened to it today, I never, it never even crossed my mind that I would be wrong. Never. I, I believed 100,000% that Alabama was about to beat the hell out of Michigan just because I saw what I saw during the Big Ten year. Okay, what I failed to give uh, mental uh, credit to or failed to pay attention to was the fact that Michigan kind of got to walk through their schedule offensively relatively vanilla and didn't have to do what they showed up and did uh, in the Rose Bowl. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, the also the other bad part about that clip and the fact that it went uber viral today, 
uh, and last night, and even when it went, you know, when they published it back in early December, uh, I don't think I was 100% wrong there, even with the result. Even knowing the result now, the opinion there that Michigan was not going to be able to bully Alabama, okay, offensively for four quarters, that opinion was relatively right. In fact, I would say it was right. Apart from about three drives that really, really changed the football game, Michigan was relatively stagnant offensively. However, I was so, so wrong on the other side of the line of scrimmage, right? Michigan's interior defensive line absolutely whipped the shit out of Alabama for four quarters. There was no doubt about that. And guess what? I was 100% wrong there. They dominated, dominated, dominated for four quarters. 55, 90, like six deep, it felt like, from guard to guard um, in their playing and on that interior defensive line. So I deserved every bit of, you know, the folks in the mentions talking about this guy's an idiot, this dude doesn't know ball, um, yada, yada, yada. You have a take that's that strong and that wrong, you deserve all of the heat that you get. Um, so, yeah, I know no one wants to hear what I'm about to say. It got a little mean. It got, it got a little mean there on some of You know, I, I'm good. I'm good with everything. But as as someone who uh, who grew up a fat child, I'm going to tell you right oh, now, man. Michigan fans listening to me right now or any opposing fan bases listening to me, this sound of my voice, if you want to get under my skin, talk about how fat I am. I, I promise you, it will get me. Because guess what, boys? I didn't really have a choice. As soon as I was conscious, I was chubby. Okay, so it, it, it's been a choice in my adulthood. Uh, but early on, it was not. So you want to get under my skin, call me a fatty. Um, oh. I, I deserved a little bit of that one, boys, because the takes the takes were hot. They're going to box their ass. You just op <laughs> you just opened the door for so many more insults. Because now, now people know what works in the Yeah, I mean, that's fine. Look, I'm working on it. You know, you, you guys get the, text, the accountability text messages. We are working on it. 2024 is oh, the yeah. year of habits. We are working on it. We've been tracking the calories. All right, we've been getting the workouts in. We are absolutely working on it. But you want to get me. You got me right there. No different um, than I think you really could get under Big Ten fans' skin with the SEC's the big bad bully take mm -hmm. before last night. And now it is no longer. No. I yeah. Mean, <clears throat> I think Michigan in general just – I think a Michigan surprise everybody not named Michigan fans in the sense of like <laughs> even watching the Ohio State game, I never got the sense that Michigan's defensive line was built like that or that they were going to be able to do that in a setting of like a college football playoff. I mean, there were times in that football game against Alabama where, I mean, they were just shoving their shit into uh, Alabama's offensive line play after play mm -hmm. after play. The whole first quarter I felt like. The whole first quarter, Alabama looked like they were catching to me yeah. on the offensive line. And, and that was the antithesis of what we saw in that SEC championship game. I saw an SEC championship game where Alabama's offensive line played like what we all thought they were talking about preseason, where they talked about being these big, bad bullies and, and being 350 pounds and, and being God's gift to offensive line play. And then they, they folded. They folded in that Rose Bowl game. And I want to talk a little bit more about it. Obviously, Michigan wins in overtime 27-20. to I thought Michigan came out with an, a tremendous game plan on both sides of the football to both attack and stress Alabama. Okay, and here's what I'm talking about. Offensively, Michigan has been known as this 12 personnel tight grouped football team that likes to run the ball down your throat, right? That's what they've been known for. That's kind of who they've molded their offense into. It's very modern and akin to what, uh, you know, Harbaugh was doing in the Stanford years where they were super extra offensive line heavy, super tight end heavy, super congested, right? And, 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 and run based, right? That's what they looked like for most of the year. They come out in this football game to start the game. They hop in 11 personnel, and they're in spread formations. So you prepare for a month for this, I'm going to play a game in a phone booth, and now all of a sudden we got to play in a cornfield. And it just didn't feel normal. It didn't feel right for the whole first quarter, it felt like, for Alabama. And you saw it in that first drive. Not only that, I was staggered, staggered to see Alabama confused by all the man beaters that they got. We knew coming into this football game that Alabama was going to play man coverage. They were going to play one high, stack the box, know that they could cover Michigan. So Michigan knew that as well, and they attacked with mesh concepts and running back leaks and things that we're going to show you on the board today. They had a game plan to both uh, run into light boxes via 11 personnel and spread formation, something that they had not done much this year. And they also very clearly had a game plan to attack the man coverage that they knew that they were going to get in critical situations. So you have to credit Sharon Moore and you have to credit Jim Harbaugh and you have to credit that Michigan offensive staff 
for doing exactly what I didn't necessarily think that they were going to be able to do, which is come out and be a, a modern offense. I knew that they were going to be this big bully offense. We talked about in that, that viral clip, right? You can't bully Alabama for four quarters and win. And guess what? Michigan didn't. Michigan outcoached uh, 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 Alabama's defense for the better part of that football game. They had a plan, and they executed well on the offensive side of the football. And defensively, defensively, they did something – Relatively same. Where is my uh, where is my lab mic, boys? Because I bet we're popping like you know what right now. No one was saying anything. I was about to go to the board, so I need to find my lab. Y'all talk for a second. Hmm. I mean, yeah. I think the one thing that's not as accounted for in this Alabama game is the way Alabama kind of folded under pressure. Yeah. You had, I mean, obviously the snaps are one of the things that's going to be looked back on this game and go, wow, that's really the moment where Alabama screwed the pooch. But there's a lot of times where Alabama just couldn't respond or they made the wrong decisions or, again, folded under pressure. So I think that's kind of something that's getting looked over. Yeah, and I think this game just kind of encapsulates um, Alabama's entire season of, like, you know, you go and play an opponent like Georgia in a must-win scenario, and they play their perfect football game. I look, I mean, they look dang near perfect, like the best team in college football. That's what many assume that they would be coming into the playoffs and then they go up against Michigan, and they kind of reverted back to what they were earlier in the season where they kind of just looked out of sorts a little bit. Things were not clicking like they typically were, and eventually just unspiraled in the worst times. All right, so we were talking, obviously, about um, the, the, the defensive game plan. The defensive game plan um, for, for Michigan. We talked about the offensive game plan, you know, them coming out in mixed personnels and, and spread and, and, and getting back into what – they actually do in the fourth quarter. Once they kind of set the tone, once they kind of got the momentum rolling, they're in that four-and-a-half-minute drive down there in the fourth quarter. They did what Michigan did, but to start the football game in this one, they did something that I don't believe Alabama was ready for defensively. Now, offensively, for Alabama's offense, everyone during the SC Championship game, you guys were on this channel, we talked about, hey, got to contain Milrow, got to mush rush him, got to contain him. And I think a lot of people last night during the broadcast were like, damn, Michigan is blitzing the ever-loving piss out of Alabama. Is that what it felt like? Yeah. That's yeah, what it, it felt like. That's what your Twitter timeline was telling you all day as well, right? Yeah. All right, so tonight we're going to talk about the differences between blitzes and pressures because I think there was a very, very large misconception in the football world watching this football game. All right, a blitz, ladies and gentlemen. A blitz is a six-man send. Okay, we are going to send more than you have on the line of scrimmage. That is classified as a blitz. Now, a pressure, okay, I don't care if you're an even front team, odd front team. I don't care if you play amoeba defense. If you bring six, it's a blitz. If you bring a five, man, it's what we call a pressure. We are, we are, we are now hot. If they bring anybody else, we're, we're in trouble, okay? But if they don't, we're fine, all right? We have the five for their five. That is a pressure. Now, here's what Michigan was doing. Michigan would have their five, let's call it a nose, let's call it a tackle, let's call it two ends, right? And then the Mike and the Willie would be in the box, right? That's what they would have in the look, all right? And every single obvious passing down, they were guaranteed to bring some type of pressure. They were going to bring five. Now, here's where it looks kind of like a blitz. This sixth guy was responsible for the back almost every single time. So if I'm that linebacker, you played linebacker, Christian. If I'm that linebacker and the running back stays in to protect, what do I do? Run through. I add in, right? I add into the box. I'm now called a dog blitzer, right? I'm a delayed secondhand blitzer into the box. They start to add in. And now it looks like they're bringing six, but in reality, they're matching your six. Okay, so that's what Michigan was doing the entire time in that early part of that football game, all right? And they were also, every single time Alabama was in some type of two-by-two, two, okay, with the Y, and let's put the slot over here. Every single time they motioned to a three-by-one, Michigan was adding the hat in over here, at auto-adding, okay, when motion was away to me, or when motion was away from me, into the short side of the field, they would add this guy in. It was sometimes the Mike, it was sometimes the Willie, it was sometimes the nickel defender, but you saw oftentimes Milrow kind of get like, Shocked and surprised by this additional add-on guy, and all he was was a guy playing free because his running back, his responsibilities were in the protection. Okay, so we have to be very cautious when we're going out on social media talking about, ooh, they're blitzing the hell out of them. No, they had a tremendous game plan of constantly pressuring, all right, and then having that sixth guy constantly add in. Now, here is where our, our Georgia fans, rather, were on social media kind of perturbed, right? Why didn't we do something similar? Why didn't Georgia do something similar 
to Milrow in the game plan. And here's what I will tell you. Y'all remember Gary Danielson coming on the show? Yep. Yes. That was kind of a big moment for the program, Very right? Cool. He don't really do that a lot. Do you remember what he said about mobile quarterbacks? Sometimes you got to do what? Sometimes you just got to get after them, mm-hmm. right? That's what he said. Sometimes with mobile quarterbacks, you can try all day to spy them, but sometimes you just end up leaving the guy five hours to sit back there and dissect your defense. Yep. Sometimes you just got to pin your damn ears back and go and trust your guys to get the damn dude on the ground. And if he don't, trust your defensive backs to keep guys in front of them. Okay, but some most of the time you can't just – even if he is a quote-unquote slow processor, even if Bill O'Brien did tell him he's a running back, whatever it is, you cannot allow a guy to just sit back there and take 15 minutes to dissect your defense. Okay, so we saw George do that, and we saw kind of the antithesis of that for Michigan. We talked about mush-rushing Milrow during the SC Championship game, pregame week, right? We talked about, hey, got to push the pocket, got to really collapse it on him. Michigan said, to hell with that. We're not mush-rushing anything. We're not slow-playing nothing. We're going to get after this dude. We're going to push the pocket, and we're going to push it now. We're going to get upfield. We're going to do our best to maintain our lanes, and we're going to get this eye, this guy's eyes to drop immediately and, and focus on the rush. And that's exactly what they did in this football game, guys. I thought they had a great plan on both sides of the football, and they executed the plan. I thought they also did something that you talked about before the SEC championship game about how Jalen Milrow's launch point was very consistent. Like, very. If he's going to drop back and he's going to pass the ball. I mean, it's pretty much from one spot. And I feel like Michigan did a great job of just headhunting that one spot. And they knew he was going to be there. And it seemed like he got hit in that same spot like five, six times throughout that football game. I think the adverse of what Michigan did compared to Georgia was Georgia came into that game and said, we're going to force Jalen Milrow to beat a pocket passer and beat us. And they conceded giving up six, seven, eight seconds to throw. Whereas Michigan said, screw that, we're just coming after him and forcing him to make a quick decision. Where obviously the inverse of what Michigan did was the right decision. It's yeah. a very, it's similar to what Texas did, I think, in that game, which is the kind of Jalen Miller's worst game, which is where they forced him to make so many quick decisions to where he's going to make the wrong decision eventually. To whereas if you give any high talented athlete in the SEC 10 seconds of football, they're probably going to make the right decision, especially with Alabama's receiving core. Absolutely. Um, I thought it was important to have that quick lesson about blitzes versus pressures. Sometimes just because free linebackers are running does not mean they weren't accounted for. Okay, I, I was I, – again, I tweeted about it. I talked about it just a second ago. I was blown away by the, the lack of adjustments from Alabama throughout this football game. And I understand, I understand when Michigan comes out and they're doing something very unfamiliar to what you're accustomed to. But there, there, it just felt like there was never a moment in this game where Alabama was the one dictating. felt like they were always responding to what Michigan was doing on the other side of the football. And you know what that is? That's coaching, right? That, that is coaching for four quarters um, from this Michigan bunch. Their game plan on both sides of the football, to me, particularly defensively, their game plan screamed, we're not afraid of you. We, we are not. And I'm not saying that's what the game plan felt like from, from Georgia, but – Georgia, and I told you about this pregame or pre-show, Georgia's game plan defensively to me looked like there's no way they can go 12 plays and beat us. There's no way that we'll, we'll, they'll beat us 12 times in a row. Instead of saying, hey, we're going to attack these dudes, get their ass off the field, get the ball back to our quarterback. Instead of playing it that way and living with the explosive consequences that may have come because of that, um, they just chose to say, you can't dink and dunk me all the way down the field. And they, they kind of lived to tell the tale of, yeah, they, they can, right, on certain possessions, particularly when they were adding in uh, the, the, the quarterback run in that uh, equation. Now, there was a lot of talk about the last play of the game. Um, so I, I want to go back to the board, and I want to talk about this. But before we do that, here's the key stat in this football game from, from uh, the defensive end from Michigan, uh, the defensive side of the football from Michigan, 10 TFL, 6 sacks. You're not going to win a football game having that many negatives on the offensive side of the football. I don't care how highly you rank in the explosive metrics in college football. Okay, when you have that many negative plays on top of all the penalties that they had in this football game, point blank, I don't believe Alabama deserved to win this football game, let alone go into overtime. I don't think Alabama deserved to be in overtime in this football game. Michigan handled them for the better part of this game and outcoached them for the better part of this game. And I think Alabama fans to a man would tell you that. Um, any more additions before we talk about this last yeah, play? Yeah, I got one question for you to kind of go in. Is this the third straight game where obviously we know what the record was, but is this the third straight game where an Alabama team for the most part got beat? Because you go back to that Auburn game, they got beat. 
The Georgia game could have gone. They they handled I'm, the Georgia game most. I was about to say part. I'm not gonna let you do. I, I think they beat Georgia. I think they beat Georgia too. Yeah. But two out of the last three games, they've they for the most part gotten beat. I think they were beating Auburn. Yeah, I mean fourth and thirty one. <laughs> hard, hard, fourth and goal from the four thirty-one. Hard, hard not to say you are in the grave in that one. All right, let's talk about this final play because there's a lot of uh, naysayers. Lot of yeah, a lot, lot, a lot of hey, <laughs> let them naysayers know, dog. A lot of naysayers out here on this one. All right, uh, I'm unmuted. All right, here we go. So <laughs> here's the look at it. We got it up here on the board. Okay, now. We talk about down distance formation and personnel as our initial indicators here on the channel. That's how we diagnose what we're looking at. So everybody knows fourth and goal, right? Ball at the three. Okay, they are in 11 personnel three by one. So there's the Y, there's the slot, there's the Z, there's the X on the back side. They're going to peel or tear motion, right? The back right here. Now, based off leverage and eye contact, all right, we can kind of assume that Michigan's in cover zero, right? No safety in the middle mm -hmm. of the field. All right, so they are in cover zero. So that is the formation, that is the personnel, that is what the defense is playing. They're a cover zero football team. We're in three by one, motioning to empty, four by one. Okay, now, here's what Alabama has called. They have power pass, or no, power RPO, whatever you want to call it in the system, it's power with a tear screen, two over, or three over two on the bottom. So we have this screen action right here. Right? All we're trying to do is make a or give us a numbers count. If we're overcounted in the box, we have an opportunity to play three over two out in the edge. Now, here's what you're going to see from Michigan. As this running back tears the motion, all right, the Mike, not the Willie, all right, the Mike is going to go over the top and he's going to do so really, really late to run with this running back. The running back's immediately going to have leverage on him as the ball is snapped. We're not going to be able to show you that, but trust, all right? Big trust right here. Now, let's talk about the actual run play of this, all right? I'm telling you that the screen was available. Low snap kind of takes all of this out, but that's beside the point. All right, they have a defensive end in here. They have a nose tackle in here. They have a defensive tackle in here. They have a linebacker walk down. They're essentially in a bare front, right? They have five guys down here on the defensive line. So here's the combination blocks. We're gonna take our left tackle and our, le our, 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 our backside tight end, and we're gonna down block, okay, right here to that front side inside linebacker. We're gonna do the same with our backside, our front side guard and our center. They're all working back. We're gonna pull the backside guard in this power action. It almost looks like trap when you snap it, but it's not. He curves up, they leave this free defender free. He's gonna come off the edge, he is the read key. All right, he's one of the, 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 the rekeys. They're going to leave him as a free defender. Now, when the ball is snapped poorly, all right, it Fs everything up. The whole timing's messed up. Personally, when I watched it last night, I thought the motion was mistimed. I thought a lot of this was just, just wetting down your leg in a big-time situation. I do not, do not hate the call, okay? I felt like, honestly, power is a delicious look against this front. All right, the down blocks are there made available for you, right? You got an angle on both of these guys, all three of these guys that you've really had a tough time blocking. We already have a natural void out here in what will ultimately be C-gap. Okay, so I don't hate the call at all. I hate the execution. And sometimes that's what we get into. We get into the debate of is because the execution was poor, was the play call poor? I, I don't know. I, I also don't love the idea that we had three plays called we go out there, Michigan doesn't like the look, they blow a tee. We go back out there, we don't like the look, we blow a tee, all right? And then we go out there a third time and we run basically uh, a, an option play where we have the three over the two. Here's the deal, if I'm this football player, guys, and I'm, you know, I, I've been playing superhero ball all night. I got 21 touches. My other two running backs didn't combine for, I think they combined for 20 touches. I think McClellan had 14, I think Justice Haynes had six. Okay, so this dude was playing hero ball all night. But guess what? He'd been playing hero ball from a running game perspective for the last three weeks. So I have a hard time sitting here criticizing the guy who got a low snap, all right, for not reading this properly because I'm telling you right now, 25 doesn't get over the top. But that's also assuming these two guys make their blocks, all right? But I, I'm going to trust my guys. That's the whole idea of playing quarterback. So I don't necessarily, again, don't necessarily hate the, the, the play call 
definitely don't love the the execution of the play. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those situations where it's a dog shit call just because of the, the way it ended up. I mean, no one, no one criticizes Pete Carroll for throwing the ball on the goal line if they score a touchdown there. It's one of those things where bad snaps, unfortunate. The play didn't work out, so now Tom Reese is going to get thrown to the fire. But it's not a terrible call. I, I don't know if I would have made it in that situation. I think that, that you had trouble pushing the ball up the middle in that situation for, towards the end of the fourth quarter. But I don't hate it. All right, so the other thing on the other side of the football that killed Alabama was mesh traffic. Okay, all these running backs leaking, um, not all of them. Blake Corum had two huge plays, a fourth and two and a touchdown. Or it wasn't him, it was uh, Marco Wilson or Damon, the Wilson? I think Raymond had the touchdown. Was it Raymond Wilson? Raymond Wilson, number one. Number one slipped Mm -hmm. and got into the open as well via mesh traffic. So we've told you all week they're a man football team, right, is Alabama. So here's what Michigan wanted to do to attack that man coverage. We told you they were scattering. They were mixing motion. They were doing all kinds of different things to confuse the look. So on most of these mesh options, right, they would leave the X on the backside. They would open with a tight end, right, maybe even a big H right here, and then the Z over here. They would look like they were in spread three by one. All right. And then McCarthy would get a little hard count and then they'd scatter. And what they would scatter to, excuse me, the back was over here on the left. Excuse me. Back starts out over here on the left. Now they scatter into a trips bunch. So the tight end comes to the point right here. The H comes behind him and the Z comes back. All right. So these are no longer here. Now what they also did at the very end of the snap was they flipped the running back over here. Now at the snap, This Willie, right, who is Jihad Campbell, the young linebacker that we love, right, but he's a young backer. The young backer is sitting there on the front side of this formation, and he's going to now have to fight through all of this mesh traffic, right, all of this junk, and pick up the back out of the flat. And ultimately, he was not able to. Multiple, multiple times, you can see him pointing. And with the, the, the particular bracket coverage that Alabama runs, the particular man coverage that they run, the only answer is to, in the middle of the game, say, hey, the next time we see Bunch, the corner's going to stay true. And he's just going to hold here, right? And whoever gets picked in the wash is going to go with the trash. Does that make sense? That's the only real adjustment that you can have. Travis Hunter did this really, really well on the goal line against TCU, this type of bracket coverage, where we let the inward breaking route go in because we know something's coming out. This is basically what would have had to have happened for Alabama to ultimately kind of defeat this. Otherwise, Jihad Campbell's got to fight through all that garbage and he's never going. So I thought it was a really, really good uh, play call, play design. I thought it was a failure to adjust multiple times by Alabama. They kept getting picked on with that type of kind of mesh with the traffic leak, okay, out of the backfield. Um, and just out of just arrows, just, just motioning the guy in and just slipping him out throughout the trash and getting him clear into this open space. So, yeah, I, I thought it was very clear and obvious to me. Dude got outcoached for the first time in my career. First time in my career watching Alabama football, I felt like the other dude on the sideline of Nick Saban did a better job than he did. I thought when Georgia beat him uh, in the national championship game, I thought, I thought you had better football players for four quarters. Um, I didn't necessarily think there was any critical – you know, coaching, lack of adjustments or, or anything like that in that football game, I, th- I thought he just got beat. Mm-hmm. This this was rare. This was rare. I, I, I look up and I watch the football game and everybody watches the same game and says, damn, Jim Harbaugh got him. Jim Harbaugh got him. I think it's something that you've kind of seen with Alabama this year is like when I think about games where the game was close for Alabama, they nearly – they had to pull an hour. They had to – they get lost to Texas or whatnot – it was really never. It really never felt like they were making adjustments throughout the game. It really just felt like Jalen Milrow ended up being the better athlete on the field on offense, and he was able to do enough for the offense to produce enough points to get him out of a mess. Or in the case of Texas and Michigan, in this instance, it was just you never made any adjustments, and you get out coached, and they continue to be better for, than you for four quarters. It was very interesting to watch just this season in general because there were moments where it's like oh, my God, how is Nick Saban doing this with this roster? How are, how are they national championship contenders, playoff team? And other times it's like, how, how are you losing right now? <laughs> yeah. Like, the, the Texas game was mind-blowing to everyone. The U, USF game, I mean, yeah, you, you were handicapped because you benched Jalen Milrow, but still, that roster should go in and smoke USF. I mean, just, just certain points of the season where it's kind of like, you know, what, kind of head-scratching. You don't see that a lot from Nick Saban. No, and – Again, everybody's looking for areas of criticism or things to point to, and everybody immediately runs to the last play of the game, and that's fine. I get it. Um, 
if it were me, if I were an Alabama fan, the, the one area of criticism that I have for this offense and the way that they went about calling a game last night was I they they destroyed Georgia with delayed drags, different things in that intermediate. Like when we're talking about mush rushing, when we're talking about dog blitzing, when we're talking about sending pressures constantly and adding an additional – all those bodies are now sucking up towards the line of scrimmage. They're moving behind the line of scrimmage. They're really pressuring you. Well, all those bodies starting to move, and they did nothing hardly at all in this football game to leak Isaiah Bond in behind that. I mean, how many times on third and mediums, third and longs, third obvious passing downs in the SEC championship game did we see Isaiah Bond run a drag for 17 yards? Because everybody is just bailing, and then everybody uh, everybody else is just absolutely with their eyes on Jalen, like really trying to push the pocket and get upfield. I, I didn't think Tommy Reese did a good enough job of helping his quarterback out like he did in the SC Championship game where he's immediately putting stuff in his face. It felt to me, and I don't know if this is a, a Nick Saban thing or a Tommy Reese thing, it felt to me like they got shell-shocked after that first half mm. and took five sacks and was like, oh, my God, we can't throw the ball. And from then on out, for the most of the third quarter, it was we're going to run triple arrow, we're going to pound the ball up the middle, we're going to run inside zone, things such as that. And they kind of were wor- – it was working for yeah. a while, and then you have two bad snaps, kills a drive, and it kind of sucked all the air out of Alabama. And after that, it was really a crapshoot. So, I mean – it is, it, it is interesting to see because I think the, the bad snaps played much more of a factor into this game, obviously on the last play, but just in general than, any, I, than anyone gives it credit for. I, can I say something? I don't, for the life of me, I can't figure that out. I cannot I, figure I out either. how Power 5 offensive linemen can't figure out how to snap the damn ball. I And, and I, for some reason, people – it must be my face. It must be the glasses. For some reason, when people find us, they're like, oh, there's no way this guy played ball. Mm-hmm. I did for a long time, for a long time. And the position that I played was center. And, I mean, shit, I ran air raid offenses where we need the ball out of the shotgun and took 85 snaps a game and never once had a bad snap. And for the life of me, I can't – I guess I just can't figure it out. Um it's it's the easiest thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's the easiest thing to, in my opinion, like I've run into some coaches who act like they can't coach it. It's a very coachable thing, in my opinion. You 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 hit your leg at the same spot with the same pace and the same rotation every single time, every single time. And for the fact that they're 15, 16 games in with this, and they were constantly putting the ball on the turf, um, it's it's not great, Bob. That's it's not a good look. Uh, for for a really really good program, and it, like, this wasn't it cost a, them games. Yeah, this, year. this this wasn't a one off thing either. This was happening in the entire Texas happening game. Texas, like Jalen Merrill, Jalen Merrill was getting hit in the chest with a ball while he was making calls because the snap wasn't on time. It was very it's very interesting to watch, and it's like I said, it's uncharacteristic things from Alabama that you don't see and you haven't seen Nick Saban regimes of past or Nick Saban seasons of past. I think we've definitely just learned that Nick Saban made some type of deal in Atlanta, bought stock in Mercedes Benz <laughs> or something. Because I mean, it is. I mean, there's something about when they get to Atlanta, it, they turn into a completely different they team. Were. They were. I mean, a they were a team. completely different team. And then you go ba- out to Pasadena, and it's like, an, it's like, whoa. Well, there's Alabama that played Texas in week three or whatnot. It's just un- very, very uncharacteristic is a great word for it, but just very unusual. I also want to give Michigan some credit because I felt like they looked shell shocked for like five minutes mm-hmm. and yeah. then it was over with yeah and it's over with and they settled and they and they just handled the rest of their business the rest of the football game but to start that ball game they they looked a little unsettled yeah I mean that that first touchdown was like oh Michigan's in peak playoff form here and then yep. they just settled in drove down the field 75 yards on that touchdown to uh, I don't remember the running back but off that motion that like you said yeah and then after that, it was for the most part smooth sailing. The muff snap at the or muff punt at the end was the one other thing where it was kind of like, oh my god. But there were some key special teams moments in this game, mm. and I know that this has kind of been a thing. But so do spe- I know that Michigan was the one that had the woes on special teams. You know, you missed the PAT, look like that maybe it was going to mm-hmm. bite you in the bud. You, you M- muffed the punt, pu- almost two punts, almost two punts, like. Yeah. Do we think that it, they mattered? Do we think that they mattered in that game? I mean, even in the Washington-Texas game, there were some moments where special teams felt like, whoa, that matters right there. I don't – So you would say there's three, there's three phases of a football game, right? Yeah. Would you say that Michigan won the special teams phase or it lost the special teams phase by a larger margin than they won the other two phases? Like, they were significantly worse on special teams than Alabama was. Alabama was yes. really good yes. on special teams. Michigan was absolutely abhorrent on special mm-hmm. teams. Yes. But they slightly edged out Alabama both offensively and defensively. Mm-hmm. 
So what you're telling me is they barely beat Alabama in two of the more important phases and absolutely played like shit in the third phase, but they won the game? Yeah. Yeah. And you're trying to tell me special teams matter? Well, I threw up the question. Okay. They did. I'm I'm just saying, (laughs) as long as you win on offense and defense, you can pretty much do whatever the hell you want special teams-wise. I think that kind of proved out on Saturday. You can play absolutely terrible – on special teams and still have a chance to win a football game as long as you're really, really good offensively and defensively. I, I think, think I think you have to win two of the three phases of a football game. Yeah. And and, and it and so yeah, I mean, you're not gonna win a lot of football games if you play bad on offense, bad on defense, good on special teams. I mean you it's it's two of the three you have to have two of the three. To say it doesn't matter, you can't say, oh, you know, we played good on offense, didn't play great on defense, and we had a horrible special teams. You're not going to win that game. You look like you're about to walk me into something. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I was about, what, I'm, <laughs> what I'm about to say is I think that you have to win two out of three is important because Iowa lost every freaking game <laughs> offensively, but damn, did they win every game on special teams and defense. Yeah. And they won That's 10 fair. games, nine games. All right, so consistently win two out of the three phases. Yeah, yeah. there we go. You're more – consistently a good team if you win the offense and defensive phases yeah. every single week. I would, we go. I would argue this. I would argue football is... Fun, sir. Yes. <laughs> Foot, football is fun. Football is 35% offense, 35% defense, 30% special teams. Mm. I'd go 40-40-20. Okay. Okay. 40-40-20. Yeah. I like it. Um, but 20% matters a whole lot. Okay. Not, not as much as the other two. Okay, I want to I want to talk about one more thing before we move on from loud wrong day. Brooks sucks at opinions because um, we've already given it forty minutes. I think I know what happened. I think I to me with my opinion here. It was twenty. My final prediction was twenty-seven to ten. Over and over again, I kept just kept telling you like you don't bully SC champions. It's just not what you do. Um, I vividly remember coming on this show. In like September, maybe maybe Octo- early October, and saying, "Damn, Michigan's defensive front, man, they strike and shed blocks like nobody's business. Like they are physical, they are big, they they are mean. Like they 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 play the run game like an NFL unit." I distinctly remember coming on here and saying that. And then about a week later, we found out they were cheating, and I had so much disdain for not only the idea that they went through the links that they did for cheating and all and the sign stealing and all that stuff. And you can, you can do all the stuff about it didn't matter now. And you can do the hindsight stuff, but I allowed, I was so frustrated about not only that, that they would do that, but was also frustrated about the opinions that I saw like attached to that story about how it didn't matter. And about how, you know, the stealing signs, you can know the play, but you still got to line up and execute and all the bullshit that we heard over and over again about the story. I had disdain. I'm going to be honest with you. I had disdain for Michigan. And I know, I don't think, I know that clouded my judgment with regards to this one. Because what I didn't want to happen is what I'm seeing now. That the sign-stealing stuff didn't matter. That it didn't impact the games. That, ooh, they won it on the field anyways. Can the two not be one and the same? Can can Michigan not have won it on the field and this version of their football team be really, really great while also saying that sending a guy to 47 different football games and stealing signs and advanced scouting is a little bit wrong and might have played a role in some of that two and a half years worth of success? I think we can do both of those things. But I also think that I, as as someone who shouldn't have done this, I think I just wanted them to lose. I think I did. I think I wanted them to lose, and I allowed that to miscloud my opinion on this one. And and I thought that I should be honest with you guys on that one. Did you see what Harbaugh said in the post game presser? I don't know if it was. No, I was too busy, uh, just absolutely weeping in my mentions. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, did you, but did you, so you didn't hear what he said. No. So he goes, and I don't, I don't know how exactly he worded it, but he goes. I feel like our team had an unfair advantage because of how much adversity they had to go through this season. They were so well connected. Mm. He he specifically used mm. unfair advantage. I love it. Just an ultimate troll job. Did you see the interview with uh, his dad and his mom? I saw the clip of it. I didn't oh my listen God. to the audio. If, if Jim Harbaugh and his daddy aren't like so, – A bunch of people were saying like, well, I thought that images, was dude. Jim Harbaugh. I thought it was Jim Harbaugh and like a, an aged man face. <laughs> like I thought he did Filter. old grandpa, like bad grandpa type shit, um, and just put some makeup on. But yeah, I definitely thought that was Jim Harbaugh, but yeah, it was not. Too. 
It was uh, Jim Har- uh, Jack Harbaugh. I think that's his name. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. How about that um, recall on this on this brain over here. Not bad. Should we talk about the Sugar Bowl? I think we've overanalyzed that need one to, just yeah. a little bit. Um, sorry about that one. We spent 40 minutes on how I was wrong, and that's okay. Um, you know, I posted a video earlier in the year about this Washington offense, okay? I said that they were unstoppable. I said that this passing attack was un- unlike anything that I had seen. Um, I even compared uh, Michael Penix to Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if y'all remember that, but I said I he's do. very Aaron Rodgers-esque. Um only for them to put up 21 points, I think, the next week against Arizona and then lay another dud the next week against Arizona State. So we got some real, real juju going my way when it comes to me complimenting or just shitting on an opponent. They normally do the opposite, okay? So, but eventually it bores out like, like it did with this Washington take. The fact that this is one of the best offensive passing attacks we've ever seen in college football um, from a schematic standpoint. But it, it really, really boils down to the fact that they have a facilitator at the position that I don't th- – I still, to this day, even after watching last night's football game, I don't think this guy gets enough credit. For me, I got absolutely just – just, woo. I got you – know, I probably shouldn't talk about this after I went viral last night for the way that I was, uh, you know, maybe misusing some words on social media, some phrasing issues going on. But, dude, I got so excited about the prospect that this kid is or this man is from a quarterback position standpoint, watching him against Oregon and – I would watch, I would see him with selective throwaways. What does that mean? I watched him have a deep crosser that was running into the face of a safety. So if he had the a linebacker on his back, but the crosser's working into the face of a safety. So the only way to really th- and he's inside the pocket, so he can't throw the ball out of bounds. The only way to really avoid a sack and get rid of the football is to throw the ball somewhere where we're not going to get grounding, but we know is a safe incompletion. And in the instant. He threw the ball at the heels of the defender in chase technique on the tight end. And I'm sitting there watching this shit, and it's like second and eight, and and they end up picking up the third and eight on third down, but only because they were in a third and eight and they had an opportunity to run a little hitch and not have to drive the ball down the field because he got sacked on third and 15. And and these types of constant, like, I'm on top of my shit decisions is what we saw for four quarters last night in that football game. The dude is constantly on time. The guy is always in control of what is happening in front of him, and he just doesn't make bad mistakes. Look up his interceptions this year. I bet it's under seven. I bet it's under eight. This guy just does not put the ball at risk. Accurate's not even the right word. Ball placement isn't even quite the right word. He communicates with the football better than anybody I've watched. Like, his ability to constantly tell guys where defenders are, tell guys where defenders aren't, stop them, start them, run them, you know, keep them low, keep them high, whatever it is, the dude puts the ball in the exact spot it needs to be every single time. Um, and I, I've just been impressed, man. It's, it's been like this all year. He makes big boy throws over and over and over and over again. Guys, several balls he threw last night. I was like, you're the only guy in college football that tries to make that throw. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the tight end out and up that he threw to number 37 or number whoever it is is probably not going to play NFL football at the tight end spot. Like, the ball was in between three defenders and was the only spot, and he had like 12 of those mm-hmm. last night. And he's had like 12 of those in every single football game this year. Mm-hmm. He has nine interceptions nine. on the season. Yeah. So, and has chunked it, what, 38 times a game? Something like that. Yeah, got at least. I think uh-huh. it is interesting to look at the three best quarterbacks in college football this season – Michael Penix, Bo Nix, Jaden Daniels. I think that's that's a fair thing to say. Yeah, I'd go with you. Yep. And look at they've all transferred. They all they all had to transfer, and they're all on their fifth or sixth season. Mm-hmm. Like the maturity and the experience that they've had, I think, is really starting to show, and it starts to show more and more with you have these quarterbacks that stay around because they're not getting thrown into the fire as rookie seasons, and they get to have that kind of second senior year where it, you really get a full year of it all clicking together. Have you have you seen a throw motion like this? It's very weird. It's very. He's lefty, isn't he? Yeah, he's lefty, and he's all. He's like underneath it mm-hmm. the whole time. Like his his hands like cupped, and just his fingertips are on the edge of the football, and he he almost just like cuts it like this the whole time. It's nuts. Very interesting. Very 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 intriguing stroke on Michael Penix. Does he have the greatest glow up in college football history? No, Baker Mayfield does. Okay, that's fair. Baker Mayfield does, or Stetson, Stetson Bennett. Bennett. I think does. Or Stetson. Okay. Bennett. I think Stetson Bennett. Still Baker has- or Stetson. 
Okay. I, I mean, he had a great goal up though, because I remember yeah, thinking no, he Indiana, like, oh, he's kind of. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking about. Is you know, watching him in his Indiana days. I mean, it's night and day difference. And just also thinking about the fact that you went from Indiana and now Washington, and you very well could play yourself, depending on how you play in the national championship, you could play yourself into a top five pick now. I mean, I think mm. he could easily be put into discussion of that's QB two now. I think the uh, the height limitations, because I think he's only about six one and a half. Mm. Yeah. Um, the lefty quarterback does get a stigma he's yeah, I don't know if it, like I don't know I know why it's because we have to flip our entire offense like everything changes launch mm -hmm. points change uh mesh points change timing of the offense changes who our best tackle is changes uh where our predominant running game goes like that all changes everything flips on its axis when you have a left-handed quarterback um it's why I think sometimes you see starting like I, I guarantee you at some point if Tua still like sticks out I guarantee you they try to find a really, really talented and serviceable lefty backup so they don't have to flip everything if the yeah. kid goes, ever goes down. So um, it, it is a, a matter of inconsistency when you have one guy that looks like that and one guy that looks like the opposite on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm with you from an NFL draft perspective. I, I don't know how it, – it's, it's going to be Caleb Williams, Drake May, and then you have to make a decision on Jaden Daniels and Michael Penix. And Bo Nix, really. I mean, I, Bo, the, the, look, the season know, Bo Nix had was in, incredible, and there's going to be teams out there like, hey, 77% completion percentage, only what, three interceptions? There's going to be a team that suckers for that. How much how much controlling and dictating of the football game has Bo Nix done from the pocket over his career? Because mm. what I watched this year from Michael Penix, mm -hmm. his ability to, to operate in and out of the pocket, particularly in the pocket, Throw on time, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, throw with anticipation. Those are the things that survive on Sundays. Yep. Not, not. Oh, razzle dazzle! He escaped and ran flat down the line of scrimmage and threw one forty-five yards. Like that stuff. Yeah, the, but is the that eroticism not to me in Bo Nix's game would terrify me from an NFL draft perspective. But is the is the razzle dazzle and escaping? Oh my God! How do you make that throw? Not what has made Caleb Williams the number one pick. No, no. The arm talent has made Caleb Williams the number one pick. And he can do it from within the pocket. And he can layer the football. Okay. Um, and I, I, I think we're getting into a point now where I don't even know if they're going to 100% make him the first overall pick. Um, I mean, if Chicago's got the pick, I don't know if they're going to do that. I don't know. I, I don't that's know. That's a whole would, different scenario. That's a, that's a whole other show. A whole other sport. Yeah, it's a whole other sport when it comes to the NFL. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the Sugar Bowl. I want to talk about the last um, like four plays of the football game because you know Texas ends up having a chance to go on and win this football game. And to me, a little bit, I like. I am not a huge fan. Not like if you want to do it on first and goal or whatever. Like I am not a huge fan of the chuck it up to your best receiver mm. on the goal. I do not. I despise that play. Not. I feel to me most of the time it just feels like a wasted play in my opinion. You and hate I, the goal line fade. I'm not a huge fan of the goal line. Like, now, don't get me wrong. Certain situations, like, you're running hot, first and goal. You want to get to the line quick, just chuck it up to your best wide receiver. Like, I'm fine with that. But, like, I felt like that's just kind of what their M.O. was there late in the game. Like, let's try and get A.D. Mitchell that big catch in the college football playoff game like he typically does. And then also, like, the swing screen out to the right side. Mm -hmm. Just, I don't know. It just kind of felt out of sort for Sark, in my opinion. I felt like the entire game, and this is what Washington does to you, I felt like the entire game, you know, when you play Michigan, you feel like you have to score every possession because you're not going to have a bunch of possessions, right? They're going to squat on it. They're going to take a while. When you play against Washington, you almost feel like you have to score every play. Mm. That You know they're going to score 40. Like, you know it, that that offense is going to operate at a high rate. Like you know you're not going to be able to keep it in front of you, particularly Texas. Texas knew that for a fact, especially once Devondre Sweat started to struggle and started to go out with some injuries or conditioning or whatever that was. Yeah. Whatever caused 93 to go off the field – immediately started to impact that football game. Um, they started having more time to throw the ball. So your, your clock when you play Washington, your, uh, your uh, if urgency, your urgency automatically goes through the roof because you feel like you got to score every single time. And I think you saw this from Texas in their complete avoidance of the run game. And it was weird, man, when you look at the box score and when you watch that football game, it felt like every time they handed the rock off, they were ripping for like seven yards of carry, eight yards of carry, 28 totes, six and a half yards of carry for over a buck 80. 
they just didn't go back to it enough. Like even Washington continued to take their medicine. Washington ran the ball 38 times for a buck 03. It was not good. Like they did not successfully run the ball. But what they did was keep Texas honest on the defensive side of the football and not allow them to just sit back and keep everything in front of them, which is exactly what Washington got the chance to do on the defensive side of the football. How many times did we see Washington corners just absolutely stacked on top of Texas receivers? Even guys like Xavier Worthy. Xavier Worthy is one of the fastest wide receivers in the sport. And we got Washington corners standing on top of him, running sideline down the sideline in phase in front of him because he had 12 yards of cushion and they're trying to run a double move and it's first and 10 and y'all have taken 12 shots already in the first half because you feel like you've got a score. That is what Washington did to Texas the entire football game and I felt like Sark got out of his rhythm and got away from what made this Texas team like really, really good. What made Texas great this year was the fact that they were an extremely balanced football team. And look, this is really, really easy to say when you're not the one on the headset. And by the way, their two young running backs put the ball on the turf yep, twice. It's, it's so say. hard for me to be like, yeah, let's just run it down their throat when we're not, you know, 100% sure we're going to hold on to the rock. I think the two fumbles scared Sarkin saying, okay, we're just going to put the ball in Quinn Ewers' hands and let him make decisions, let him make plays, let him throw it up to A.D. Mitchell and see if that happens. And it worked out well one play. I mean, that catch was incredible. And this mm -hmm. A.D. Mitchell is, I mean, might be the most clutch playoff player ever. Mm. At, at this point in college football, he's got five touchdowns and five appearances. So, but yeah, I think I think Texas got scared and went away from what was working in the run game because two fumbles, two turnovers. I mean, they were all costly turnovers too. Uh, I also felt like this this wasn't a seven point football game. It ended up that um, I didn't feel that way. No. I felt like Washington controlled this football, point game. football game. Six point football game. Excuse me. I felt like Washington controlled this football game um, for the mo for the most part. Um, the primary reason for that being. I felt like one quarterback on one side of the football in Penix was just, I mean, BDE, man. He was ripping the ball. Like, he was not, uh, you know, second-guessing any decision. He was not, uh, you know, uh, throwing, throwing with a little bit of lollipopness, if you will. He was not second-guessing anything. Every ball was ripped with confidence and pace and accuracy. And then on the other side of the football, and I, I know it's a little bit of his game. I know it's kind of how he goes about play, playing the quarterback position. I felt like Quinn Ewers was placing the football all night. I did not feel like he was ripping it. I felt like it was like, that's where I'm supposed to go with the football. Ooh, I hope I don't miss him, right? And there, there are two different thought processes there and two different levels of execution with regards to how you're throwing the football if you're not throwing it with confidence. I'm not saying he was scared. I'm not saying he was nervous. I'm just saying I didn't feel like he was throwing the ball with 100% confidence. No, it felt like the entire game, whether it be the way he threw it or the era in which it was thrown, it felt like he wasn't necessarily 100% on the same page yeah. as receivers. There was like a lot of passes where it was like, well, that was a miscommunication because the ball was five yards behind the receiver, like just mm -hmm. egregiously inaccurate. So Quinn Ewers definitely looked, I don't want to say scared because he played well, but he looks uncomfortable. Like he, yeah, like he lacked confidence. I think the, the prime example of that is the last play. If you go mm -hmm. back and watch that replay, that ball should be thrown on a line, back-shouldered. Mm -hmm. Like, the, the corner has given up so much cushion. Yeah, I mean, there, he was five the, yards in the end zone. I mean, his butt's into the end zone. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, literally pointing into the end zone as well. Like, he's playing deep corner fade. Like, you cannot, not, not throw that ball up in the air and allow him to go make that play. you got to rip that thing. Yeah. And I, I think that only happens if you 100% have confidence. And I think that's the that's – the, and to Jay Will's point, I think that's the situation you get in with the 50-50 balls. You want that air under it because, hey, maybe we'll get a P.I. here. Let, yeah. let the playmaker get a chance to make a decision here. But it was played perfectly by a defender. Props oh, to him. Absolutely. I, th I think what Washington does is like a full-court press type deal. And I think it's very reciprocated. Um, mm. It's how you feel on a basketball court when you get full-court press and you're not used to it. Like You immediately tense up. Every time you had the ball, your whole thought process is do not turn the ball over because you turn the ball over, they're going to go score again really quickly. Like things Facts. can un like unwind very quickly when a team runs a full court press. And I, I agree. I think that's kind of the feeling that Washington gave to Texas. I think that's kind of what they've done when they do play up to the tier of football that they can. And Texas just could not handle it for four quarters. Absolutely. Make sure you hit that thumbs up button, like, subscribe, and rate, review. And we are, are trying to cross over 20,000 <clears> subscribers today. Wow. A little bug in my throat there. 20,000 subs today we're trying to cross over, so be a part of that mission with us. Hit that thumbs up button. Hit that subscribe. Join us for good. Uh, before we move on, I want to talk about this coaching staff from Washington. I think um, as a person who 
studies the game of football and has like really gotten to know some of these coaches and, and the, the arc of like the success stories of these guys. I, I don't, apart from winning, I don't know what makes a, a guy that is a lifer in the D2 ranks or a guy that is a lifer in the high school ranks. I've sat in those rooms and listened to some of those guys and listened to them talk football and then sat in a room with a guy who's coaching Power 5 football and you'd be hard-pressed to find the difference in just the, the level of knowledge and what they have and what they got going on. Um, and I say that to say that the differentiations and levels of coaching are not that drastic, right? Football is football. Like, we can only X's and O's so much. Um, and I think this Washington coaching staff is a prime example of this. These are lifers. These are guys who have have just now gotten their crack at it. Like Caleb DeBoer, for an example. That's a football coach that played his college football career at Sioux Falls, a Division II school, okay? And then uh, got a GA or took like 10 years off of football, just didn't do anything. And then was a GA at Sioux Falls and then ultimately became an OC at Sioux Falls for three years and then was a seven-year head coach at Sioux Falls and then went to like uh, Idaho, Podunk, Nowhere, Division One, and then went to UNLV or whatever and then went to Fresno State and boom, now. Now he's like one of the best coaches in college football. And turns out, if you look at this dude's wiki, he's been one of the best coaches in college football for years. I don't think he's lost a game in like forever. I know he lost some last year, but when you look at his track record before Washington, it's like 11-0, 12-0, 13-0, 10-0, 0-0-0-0, like zero losses over and over and over again. This is a dude who climbed his way up um, without a lot of clout. Like even when he was announced as the, the Washington head coach, I think a lot of people said, huh, who's mm -hmm. that? And next thing you know, guy's balling out. Same thing for his offensive coordinator, Ryan Grubb. Ryan Grubb spent six years at Sioux Falls as a Division II offensive coordinator. Ryan Grubb crawled up with DeBoer and now as being, is being loyal to him. I, I, they talked about it on the broadcast last night. It was something I was unaware of because I just don't dig into offensive coordinator hires that much at other programs. Um, I just respond and react to the news like when they hired by, or, uh, Tommy Reese at Alabama. But I didn't know that Nick Saban tried to, to steal this guy off of Washington staff last year until last night. I didn't know that that was, you know, the case that Ryan Grubb turned down Alabama and turned down Nick Saban to return to this roster because he believed in what he told his players, which is if all of y'all come back, if Rome, Roma Dunze, if you come back, if McMillan, if Polk, if y'all come back, if, if Michael Penix comes back, we have an opportunity to go compete for a national title. And I love when football coaches not only have track records like this, they're small guys that get an opportunity to win on a big stage, but I also love when coaches stand by their word like that because, golly, I couldn't imagine how hard that was mm -hmm. to turn down the, the greatest football coach of all time who also, by the way, every single time you do well there, you're getting a P5 big-time coaching job, period, mm -hmm. which is what I would assume Ryan Grubb wants one day um, based off his track record. So – I think it's just it's like even though a defensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator has been in coaching Power Five Division One football since 1998. <laughs> he is a lifer, okay. Um, just a, a really good coaching staff that deserves their flowers this year, in my opinion. Yeah, I I have a theory on because you said you know I don't know what what the, what the difference is between these D two guys and these D one guys and even NFL guys. I mean, I think. The X's and O's standpoint, they're virtually on the same level. Some guys have mm. a certain edge. I mean, even even down to NAIA, yeah. it's what you can do in the recruiting and the transfer portal and game managing or uh, roster management from the NFL standpoint. That's why some college coaches that are the greatest college coaches don't make it in the NFL. That's why certain NFL coaches don't make it in college. I think you have to be on, – on, even on D2, there's not a level of roster management, NIL, transfer portal stuff that you have to worry about as a D2 coach. So, I mean, like, look at Washington's recruiting ranks. They're not doing very good in recruiting. The last two yeah. classes have been outside the top 25. But the fact that you te – Tech out-recruited them this class. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, it's it's not like Kalen DeBoer's an insane recruiter, <laughs> but the fact that he's an incredible X's and O's guy, and you've got the transfer portal that can now level the playing field, I think that's what we've seen more than anything, is that the transfer portal has leveled the playing field for so many X's and O's coaches that are really good at X's and O's but can't necessarily get the roster. I mean, you know, if what's what's Washington without Michael Penix right now? Uh, a roster with three NFL football players at wide receiver with no quarterback. There you go. So they're Ohio State. That's what I was about to say. And I mean, and we're all the raw. And I don't know where all the wide receivers like recruited or are they transfers too. Uh, uh, McMillan transferred. Yeah, he transferred. I, I think Roma Dunze has been there. Roma Dunze. Yeah, has but, been there. but I mean, I think to my Polk, e Polk has been there. Yeah, yeah, even to my point that like one of them transferred from the SEC, I believe. Mm -hmm. Guys SEC like State. 
Yep. Yeah, but guys like Kalen DeBoer and 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 uh, Eli Drinkwitz, coaches like that that are really good X's and O's coaches, now have an opportunity to yeah. be elevated to elite stash because you have the transfer portal, you have NIL, things like such as that. Makes it so much more interesting knowing that. And then, like, looking back at how they all – I mean, every single one of them, how they reacted after the game and, like, their post-game interviews Dude, so and deadpan. everything. Yeah. Like, DeBoer, very stoic. Like, just like, yeah, had a great game. I don't even think stoic's the word, man. He was robotic. Yeah. Apathetic. He was nuts. And Penix, in a way, was the same way. Like, for a guy that battled his way through Indiana, took his licks, and then got to Washington, had to do another year, and then came back and is, like, now competing for a national title, just – I don't know. Hey, man, weird. real naysayers know free my boy Hooley. <laughs> free my boy Hooley. Um, that was dope. Yeah, that was. He is he is full-fledged Florida. Um, even with the do-rag. Yeah. Like, my man, my man is stunt. <laughs> my man is cold. Speaking of um, Florida, did you see uh, K.J. Jefferson's commitment tweet? To UCF? That's, I think that was fake. Oh, yeah, you got yeah, Don't I do got the thing. Man, I, I hate the internet nowadays. But it was man. funny. Because like, I went to the actual account and like scrolled through and was like, I think this is yeah, it. Yeah, I think they did the same thing earlier in the year. Hey, we got a whole other hour coming up for you right now. It is our local hour. We're going to talk that doll. We'll see you in a couple minutes.